You're listening to the greatest multifamily investment advice show. My name is Adam Ross, and now I'm talking everything multifamily for an in-depth conversation, and I will be diving deep into raising capital, deals, and underwriting process. Welcome back to the greatest multifamily advice show. Today we have Anthony Vicino, real estate investor, syndicator, the co-founder on Invictures Capital with amazing journey in raising capital, public speaker, and market specialist on real estate industry. Please help me to welcome our guest today. How are you, Anthony? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me, Adam. It's good to be here, man. Thanks a lot. I would, last, I would like to start with the beginning on multifamily. What was the beginning for you and what was the upside for you to say, okay, multifamily is the right path for me? So my, my uh, real estate or active real estate journey really began in about, um, yeah, this was 2012 or so. And I started small, like a lot of people do with a duplex, triplex, that type of thing. And I went into a triplex with an FHA loan, which in the U.S. is, you know, first time home buyer yeah. uh, loan where you can get into it for very low uh, amount of down payment. So in that case, I, I put about $7,000 down and I got into this asset worth $246,000. And it was like, oh, that's pretty cool. And so I house hacked it. I lived in one unit. I rented out the other two and I was the landlord. I was doing everything and it was a learning curve. It was, it was interesting. So within the first month, um, I got woken up in the middle of the night by SWAT. They were upset with one of my tenants. Um, somebody stole a car at one point. This is a totally different event. Um, so like, it was, it was like being thrown into the, into the fire and all things told that investment went really well. Like it was hard from an from a running it perspective, but within nine months, it, it had appreciated by $125,000. So I went back to the bank and they're like, oh yeah, we'll, we'll give you a new loan on this thing. And um, you could do a cash out refinance or you could do a HELOC. I decided I was going to do a HELOC and pull out some of that money and use it on the next deal. Mm-hmm. And all that's to say is like within nine months, I had turned that $7,000 into 125, which sounds really, really cool. And you probably think like, oh, Anthony must be a genius. No, nah, you're wrong. See, I'm stupid. I didn't do anything to deserve it. It just was the building was valued based off of comparables, right? And so it was its value was determined based off of what the houses across the street or in that neighborhood were selling for. And just as easily as it went up and I got lucky, it could have just as easily gone down and I could have gotten really hosed. And so I didn't like that. I didn't like the fact that I had no control over what my building was valued at. Because regardless of how efficiently or effectively I ran my asset as a profitable business, it didn't really matter to the underlying valuation. So I was like, well, this isn't gonna work for me long-term. I wanna do, I wanna have more control, which is what led me to multifamily, where fundamentally we have control over that because it's the values based as a business, right? And so I took my experience from the triplex, took that money and started rolling it forward into larger and larger assets. Um, to the point now where we have about 500 units under management, um, and they're all here in our backyard in Minnesota. So this is one of the things that makes us a little weird, a little unique, is that we have an in-house property management company, hmm. and we only focus in our backyard here in the Twin Cities, Minneapolis, St. Paul, First Ring suburbs. So that means we raise a lot of capital, but we only raise capital for our own deals, and then we operate our deals. And so we're kind of like a one-stop shop in that way. So you're only focusing on the multifamily side or the commercial and engineer? So we focus just on the multifamily. I have other investments and other vehicles, but in terms of what we operate and what Invictus Capital does, we only focus on multifamily. And I think it's important that, you know, you find a lane, you find a niche, an edge and get really good at that thing. Mm -hmm. For us, we've been doing this for many years now. And so we have 
really deep relationships. We have really deep um, uh, market knowledge and we have really deep insights into how these operations work. And so instead of getting distracted with shiny new objects and be like, oh, we should go over there and do this thing. We're like, well, let's just keep doing the same thing over and over. It's super boring, but each time we do it, we get better at it. So that's multifamily for us. 100%, 100%. You, you, I think York is a co-founder of uh, your capital company. So when you started to look for partners, what was the actual upside of looking for a partner when you started your journey as an active syndicator or operator? That's a good question. So in the beginning, you know, for the first seven years, I did not have a partner. I was just doing it myself. And in 2019, and now I wasn't raising capital at that point. I was just using my own money because I, I kind of have this belief that you should, you know, pay your tuition at the school of hard knocks with your own dime before you go asking other people for money. And so like, it was important to me that in the beginning, I learned how this, all this works and how to operate real estate on my own before raising capital. Hmm. And in 2019, that's when I met Dan, my, my partner and co-founder at Invictus Capital. And he had been doing a similar thing, like from a similar path. And we crossed like two ships in the night at a, at a conference actually. Hmm. And it's funny because neither of us went to that conference looking for a partner. Hmm. We were just going, trying to learn and meet interesting people. And um, I met him and it, there was a good relationship right from the start. And we just wanted to be friends. And so we were hanging out, we're getting coffee, getting lunches regularly and just talking and like staying in touch. And about four months later, Dan had a deal under contract that he was doing. And he's like, Hey, do you want to do this deal together? Um, and I was like, sure, let's do it. And hmm. from that moment on, um, you know, the rest is in history. But the thing that's really interesting is that I've, I'm very entrepreneurial. I have many businesses that I've built and exited over the years. And all the ones that ended up succeeding were born off the back of a really good partnership. And the ones that always inevitably failed had a really bad partnership. And so I think the two things that you, you have to, you have to find in a potential partner is one, do you both want to go to the same place? Hmm. And then two, do you both want to get there in the same way? And that first hmm. one is easier to vet for, but I find people don't really give that second one enough um, so, freedom. Yeah. Yeah. And so like one part of that, like, okay, do we want to go to the same place? Dan and I want to build the same kind of company to the same size. Awesome. Now, do we want to get there in the same way? That's where values come in. Hmm. That's where, uh, what's our work cadence look like? Because a lot of times with partnerships, if one person is pushing really hard and the other person just is working a little bit slower, that creates a lot of friction. So like you have to find those variables. And for us, we got really lucky. We kind of fell into it. Um, but I think part of it was, the fact that we weren't looking super hard and, and you know, coming from a position of desperation, we we're mm. focused more on our businesses, which then made us very compelling partners for somebody else to want to work with. Mm. And so then when it came time to do that, we we're like, oh, yeah, you're perfect. You, you don't even really need me, but we can together do one plus one equals 10. So what was for you the upside of the partnership again? What was the, I'm not going to say weakness, but how you basically changed it from two to 10? Yeah. So I, I like to think of it in terms of what's the work that you find light and what's the work that you find heavy, mm. right? For me, the work that's heavy is like spreadsheets and finances. I don't love that stuff. I don't wake up in the morning and think, mm, I got to get into Google or into Excel. I'm not, I'm not excited about that. Whereas yeah. Dan comes from a financial background. He was in corporate America. He lives and breathes in spreadsheets. So he's really good at that thing. And I can make myself good, but I just don't love it. 
Whereas I love the marketing and the operations side of things where that's something that he's not in, in love with. And so both of us are able to focus all of our time and energy on the things that we're uniquely suited for. Mm-hmm. And we don't spend any of the time on things that we suck at. As a result, we're not spinning our wheels and wasting time trying to learn something or do something inefficiently that somebody else could do better. Yeah. And when you do that, when you play to your strengths, the team just explodes and does fantastic. I agree 100%, 100% agree. So getting uh, uh, back again to Minnesota, what was the upside to say, okay, I want to be in my, my backyard. I don't want to move to other markets, even if the cap rate is better. Mm-hmm. So there's, I mean, it's different for everybody, right? Like there's so many great markets out there. Um, I believe you can make mar- money in any market as long as you have a gauge and you understand what that is. For us, we were really fortunate that Minneapolis and the Twin Cities is consistently a top 10 investment market in the US, but most people don't realize it because they don't usually look past the top five. So they go Phoenix, Austin, Nashville, and then they kind of stop looking. Whereas Minneapolis, it's one of these unsexy markets that doesn't have explosive 20% year over year growth. But if you look at it over the last 40 years, every single year, it grows by one to 2%. It's super predictable. And when it comes to investing, I like predictable. So, so that was one side of it. We're in a great market. It's very economically stable, has more Fortune 500 companies per capita than mm-hmm. any other city in the country. We have the number one healthcare system. We have the third largest university in the, in the country. So there's a lot of things going from a macroeconomic um, perspective. Compound that with the fact that this is our backyard and we know all the brokers. We know every single neighborhood. We know a lot of the sellers. That gives us like the unique recipe to go out there and have an edge where others that we're trying to maybe invest from out of state into our market, they can't compete. So we're able to go in there and get deals that other people just couldn't. I understand. So my next question would be about Minnesota again and your business. What was the actual action item really help you to really scale your business like from 1x to 10x? Yeah, this, whenever you're building a business, it's hard because in the beginning, you don't have the money and the resources to go out there and hire great talent or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So in the beginning, you're doing everything yourself. You're wearing all the hats. And that's a good thing in the sense that you're learning how all the systems come together and you're going to get a a really good vision of how the the company actually works. But it's also the thing that's going to hold you back as you try to grow and try to get to the place where you're not doing everything. And the, the pitfall I find most operators find themselves in is, from the very beginning, they're doing everything, but they're not documenting their systems and mm-hmm. creating those systems in a way that they could easily bring somebody in off the street mm-hmm. and say, here's the system, here's how you execute it, go, right? And so that's something that we had the mindset from the very beginning is everything that we do right now, we want to assume in one year from now or five years from now, we're not the ones doing that job. So what would it look like for that next person to step in on day one and, and find success? If I was to bring in an investor relations person or a property manager or uh, a marketing assistant, how do they know exactly what to do in their job and how to succeed? And of course, we want them to take that job and flourish and make it their own and improve it, but they need to have that bare bones framework at least to be able to step in and start succeeding. And I find that's where it's really difficult because most, most entrepreneurs, when they start hiring, they're like, man, I don't know why I hired this person. They're, they're not, they're slow. They're, they're doing it worse than I could do it. I might as well just take it back. And so it's the, the age old, I'll delegate it and then I'll be disappointed with the results. So I'll take it back. Right. And that's a result of failure of training and of uh, setting clear expectations. Mm-hmm. And so from the beginning, if you want to build a system that scales and really 
have that one plus one equals 10, you have to figure out how you're going to effectively bring people into the system so that they can thrive and survive, not just, you know, be another body in a seat. Makes sense. Makes sense. So you mentioned that you grow your business to right now more than 550 units on multifamily in Minnesota. And you mentioned that uh, the market in Minnesota has all of the market fundamental, including the net immigration, uh, job growth, uh, the employers. Uh, my question right now is we are now in more like market is our like the 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 the, the current market was the greedy market now we're heading to like opportunity market and with inflation and the latest tax uh, i'm sorry is it the latest uh, uh, interest spike from the federal government what was uh, your previous plan and your current plan to match with the current situation especially on the underwriting side and and with the market changes with the with the high expectation from the sellers and and the same time uh, trying to uh, uh, comply with your uh, investors' uh, preferred returns. So what is your current plan right now? So if you look at it from like future deals and how we're underwriting those, I think you have to go into them being very, very pessimistic about what the future holds. And generally that's always been our underwriting thesis is let's just assume the, the future is going to be far, far worse than the present. And if the numbers still work, that's great. Because when, when we're bringing investors into our deals, we're doing two things. Is one, we're trying to find investors who play on a very long horizon. So we're not the type of group that's buying and selling every two to three years. We're looking to do things on a, we project a five to seven year hold, but ideally we like to even go even longer than that. So we want to be with investors who have a very long time frame in mind because time is an investor's best friend. Like the number one thing that you want to avoid is being forced into selling a, uh, a position and in an opportune time. And so if you have a lot of time on your hands to be able to weather the, the storm in the short term, you can find that moment when it's right to strike. And so in all of our underwriting throughout the years, we, we always do, for instance, a cash out refinance on our assets. But when we're projecting and underwriting on pro forma, we typically don't show a cash out refinance. And the reason for that is we don't want our business model to be dependent on an event that we can't truly foresee or control in the future. So we like to buy on cash flow and make sure that this is an operationally sound asset that has good fundamentals that's going to last for a very long time. And if we can do the refinance, fantastic, but we're going to underwrite it as though we're not going to be able to do that. And so what that means is we put long-term debt on these assets so we don't have to sell at the wrong moment. Now, if we get the opportunity to do a cash out refinance, we'll take it. But I find a lot of operators, they'll, they'll underwrite their deals in a way where it only works if they actually execute the refinance. And if you bought something two years ago on a three-year term, and now you're looking down the barrel of a refinance into an environment where interest rates are suddenly two to three times more than you thought they were going to be, the terms you're getting from banks are less favorable, well, you might be in a lot of trouble. And so one of the things that we like to do as well with our investors is from the very beginning, set the expectations very low because it's always better to, you know, under promise and over deliver rather mm -hmm. than the inverse. If you over promise and under deliver, you have really unhappy investors. So we bring investors in and we say, let's temper our expectations about what these assets are truly capable of. Yes. In the past, all of our deals have delivered North of 20% IRR. That's great, but that's, a, that's a tremendous uh, result. Let's not assume that that is the base case. Let's go into these with the expectation that 15, 16% is fantastic. Mm. 
And then if we get 17, 18, 19, 20, oh, you're going to be ecstatic, right? And so it's all about tempering expectations. I, I think right now the whole market is about 15, 16%. And I think the most popular uh, split right now is 25 to 75 to make it work uh, for a preferred return. Uh, mm-hmm. But um, I think one of the questions I, I would like to ask is what kind of product you work with? Is uh, product B or C? So we used to, like back before 2020, we used to focus on class C heavy value add. Mm-hmm. With COVID, uh, we closed a deal in January of 2020 that was a very heavy value add, required us to go in there and remove all the residents, do a lot of renovations. Mm-hmm. Um, and that became very difficult in an environment where suddenly there's an eviction moratorium, nobody's moving, supply is difficult to get, um, labor is short. So during COVID, we actually said, okay, let's make a flight towards quality. Let's move towards a resident base that's a little bit easier to work with into assets that don't require quite as much work. So these days we focus almost exclusively on solid class B assets and class A neighborhoods Hmm. where the residents are fantastic. They're very easy to work with. The buildings are great. They don't require a ton of ongoing maintenance and repair. Overall, it's, it's just for us, it's the best of all worlds. I think class C and class D, you can make great money there, Hmm. but just given where we are as investors and our life cycle as operators, um, it, it, we're just not willing or interested in banging our head against that wall anymore. So right now, based on the market, do you see an actual growth on on raising capital side, especially with handling uh, invest new investor objections about the market and uh, we're heading to recession? What is your current situation when you're hand, especially with the new investors, to explain um, the pros of uh, the multifamily business during the recession time? That's a good question. Um, it's interesting. So in the beginning of our careers, as we were raising capital back in 2019, 2020, uh, we were having a lot more conversations where we were having to not convince people, but put people's minds at ease about multifamily assets in general, because the, the general caliber and education of investors we were working with, they, they were newer as a result of, you know, we were new to raising capital. So we were going to friends and family and colleagues and people mm-hmm. that knew us, but that didn't necessarily know multifamily. But these days, so uh, we published a book last year that's been top 10 on Amazon ever since. Uh, We have a podcast that sits top 10 on iTunes. We put out a lot of educational content. And as a result, the investors who are attracted to us are of a higher um, experience level. They're a little bit more Mm -hmm. sophisticated. And we're not necessarily having to have conversations about why multifamily is still great in a recessionary environment. So we're putting out content where we talk about that stuff. But by the time an investor is getting onto a call with us and interested in putting money to work, uh, we're not really having those discussions anymore because mm-hmm. they've had an opportunity to, to already see and hear our thoughts. And, and I think that's one of the, the great things about building in public where you know people can see your track record and see all the things that you've said in the past. Mm-hmm. They can say, does this still make sense? And so if you're, if you're a new capital raiser out there, if you're like trying to get that machine going, I would highly recommend that you lead with education and you do it in public so that your investors can see this and they can get their questions answered without actually having to get on a call with you. Can you talk about a little bit about your book? Because I think this is one of the greatest things that you did with your partner is creating a platform and a niche. And one of them, as you mentioned, is a podcast and, and writing a book. So how this help you on your business so far? Yeah, the, the, the book is fantastic. So in a past life for context, I was a science fiction and fantasy author. I, I had published about 12 novels. Um, 
over the last decade or so. And so writing the book was a, it was an easy segue in terms of the actual creation of it because I had a lot of experience there. But when we looked around in the environment, we realized that a lot of the resources out there on real estate investing are geared towards people like us that are active investors. And they the content is directed towards you want to be active. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, that's not super helpful for somebody that wants to be a passive investor. Mm-hmm. They want to put their money to work, but they don't want to do any of the work. They don't want to field tenant calls or any of that stuff. So we wrote the book, Passive Investing Made Simple, and it's targeted exactly towards the, the prospective limited partner. Mm-hmm. And there's really only one other book out there called The Hands-Off Investor by Brian Burke that kind of talks about this topic. Mm-hmm. And I, I love his book. It's fantastic. But one of the issues with it um, is that it's, it's very high level. It's very deep and detailed. It's almost like a master's class. And the problem is for most passive investors, they don't want to get a master's class in this. They want to understand it well enough that they can take action, mm-hmm. but they don't want to go deeper than that. And so we tried to fill that that gap in the marketplace. And um, it's been remarkable, the amount of interest and in, in, in just people that have picked up the book that we had no contact with before coming out and saying this book was super helpful. Because for us, we wrote the book because we were in the beginning, again, we we're having all the same conversations. What's multifamily? What's appreciation? What's a cap rate? What's capex? All that stuff. And we realized that if you're talking with an investor for the very first time and they've never thought about multifamily, there's a lot to consume. There's a lot to Mm. process. And it's probably too much for you to to cover in one or even two conversations. And so we're like, well, let's create the podcast and then we can have a a repository of resources we can point people towards and say, hey, if you want to go learn about what's appreciation or what's depreciation, go listen to that episode where we talk about it. Mm. And then I was like, well, we can go deeper because, you know, some people don't want to listen to a podcast. Some people want to read a book. And so that's where it started. Um, and as a result, these days, I would say the, uh, the vast majority of the investors just coming into our network for the first time are as a result of the book, which has been really, really remarkable. Yeah, I wrote the Brian Burke, the bigger pockets guy. Yeah, it was a good one. But as you mentioned, it's more uh, focused on a sophisticated investor, more like um, for uh, accredited investor, not for qualified investor. I agree on this. Uh, my next question will be about um, your superpower. What is your superpower? <laughs> um, my, my superpower is hyper-focus. So the interesting thing, I guess, is I have pretty severe ADHD. And growing up, that's attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Growing up, I had a very, very hard time managing it. I was on Ridlin for a long time and I did not like that. It was very, it was, I did not do it. Um, But the problem with the drug when I went off of it is I was, I still had ADHD and I had no systems or process to kind of like to thrive in the world. And so I really struggled through my twenties. Just, I couldn't hold down a job. I had really poor relationships. I was really bad with money. I was living in the back of a van at one point because I I was poor. Um, And so like, like life just wasn't going super well, but there came a point where I started to figure out that, I could turn this thing that I had perceived as as this weakness and turn it into a strength. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that's unique to people with ADHD is um, we're able to go into what's known as a hyper-focused state, which is a lot like the flow state or getting in the zone. Um, But the problem for people with ADHD is a lot of times they can't control what they're hyper-focused on. So you could get really hyper-focused on the paint drying or this video game or things that are just not moving you forward in life. Mm -hmm. And that's why... Uh, a lot of people with ADHD struggle to get traction. 
for me, the turning point was really figuring out, okay, how do I take this, this gift, this hyper-focus and figure out how do I direct it towards the things that are going to move me forward? And once I started to, to uncover that and kind of unlock it, mm. things in my life really fundamentally changed. And now um, it, it's, it's easily a superpower. 100%, 100%. Uh, my last question will be about your influential mentor. Who was really a mentor for you on your real estate career? You started for more than, I think, nine years now between single family, multifamily, and now uh, a successful podcast. So who was like an actual influential mentor in your career? That's a good question. On, on real estate, I don't know if I could point to a single mentor, hmm. but in terms of entrepreneurship or business, I've had a number. Um, and, and that's really what real estate is to me at the end of the day. It's just, it's just a business, right? Like mm -hmm. we look at these buildings and they're just small little businesses with customers, with expenses and with product and inventory. And so for me, I had, I had a mentor at a very pivotal moment in my life when I was living in that van who came to me and he had a window washing business at the time. And he's like, Hey, come join me. And I'll show you how this works. And that was, that changed my life because it showed me the power of entrepreneurship and business. Mm -hmm. Whereas before that, like I wasn't the guy, I wasn't the kid who had, had a lemonade stand or who was plucking flowers and selling it back to the neighbor. Like that wasn't me. I never thought entrepreneurship had a place in my life until that moment. Mm -hmm. And he taught me a lot of things, not just about how a business works, but how to craft a life worth living that uh, I think without him, I, I, I'm not sure that I would really be in the same place that I am now. 100%, 100%. Uh, with, a, with a popular and successful podcast, far from this, how the people can reach you? Yeah, uh, you can Google me, um, Anthony Vecino, and reach out. I'm on all the social medias, literally um, everywhere. Um, happy to hop on a conversation if anybody's curious about what we do on the investment side. Uh, shoot me an email at Anthony. Actually, I'll tell you what, I'll make your, I'll make your listeners a special offer because uh, <laughs> we, we were pimping the book here. So I'll tell you what, if you guys will go and leave a review for this podcast episode on iTunes or wherever you're listening to this, go leave a review and then shoot me an email at Anthony at InvictusMultifamily.com and say, Hey, I left a review. I heard you on this podcast. I want a free book. I'll send you a free physical copy of the book. So that's all you got to do is go leave a review. 100%, 100%. Thanks a lot for your time today and really happy to bring you again to the show. Thank Thanks. you for your time. Thanks.